0: Welcome to the Multitask. This is John.
1: it's your boy, What's going on, nice. guys?
0: a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think we have to start with, I mean, there's a lot of news, tragic news, not-so-tragic news, you-want-to-pull-your-hair-out news. But let's start with probably the biggest, probably the longest-lasting in the short-term piece, and I think that's going to be the, the House of Representatives. With the with the slim major, Republican majority, has finally elected a new speaker, and um, what's his name?
1: <laughs> Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good lesson. That's the moral of the story, John. <laughs> it's it's um, you know, it's it's
0: you know, something
1: Johnson, right?
0: Yeah, Michael Johnson and michael johnson is what they refer to a back as a backbencher. Uh backbenchers are people in and 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 I think the term backbencher actually started with the house of commons in England, but it's people who don't who aren't really that dynamic, don't pass a lot of legislation, are not really seen as leaders. And um mike johnson's one of them. So we now have a backbencher as the speaker of the house. Uh it was funny because uh, just so you know, for those of you who paying attention, this past week, uh, the Republicans started out by uh, nominating Steve Scalise. Uh, he never made it to the floor. Jim Jordan makes it to the floor. Uh, he uh, fails on three votes. Then they go ahead and they elect James, Com- James Comer and uh no i mean mike emmer it was emmer i'm sorry they 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 nominate emmer from minnesota and he doesn't even make it to the floor and then they go ahead and they nominate and then elect michael johnson what did you think <coughs> as you were watching things transpire last week yeah
1: um I've- I, there was a, a, you skipped the part where I was almost right. In my prediction about McCarthy, there was a little bit of a um report that he he might step in and, and make Jim Jordan assistant speaker. And I thought, I thought McCarthy was the most likely person to get the chair again. Um When I was watching it, it was just, it was, it's a, almost ironic, John, in a bittersweet kind of poetic way that. This was all happening while there's conflicts in Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine. Um, the debt ceiling is fast approaching, right? We wasted all this time just waiting for them to elect a speaker that we could have been done actually working. Um, and so I was. it was just ironic to me that on one side, Democrats are trying to get things done. and the other side, Republicans literally are, are arguing with each other behind closed doors, right? And to go and elect somebody like this who for all intents and purposes john you don't have to stand by this for anybody listening john doesn't have to stand by this a sick cruel person that they elected someone who believes that gay people should be uh imprisoned or put to death whose wife runs an organization that talks about gay people in the same sense of bestiality and all these different things this is a horrible person and look wherever you stand on the spectrum as far as being Uh, wherever you stand on anything regarding that issue, treating humans in that way is un-Christian. It's un... um, I don't care what Bible you're reading. None of that's in the Bible. And that is representative of what Republicans feel like. This isn't an extreme Republican, right? They all voted for him for a reason. They believe he is a messenger for their message. And for them, they're like that person. I don't think he's the same... Evil as Jim Jordan in the sense that publicly he might help us win the House again, because I think he's going to be as quiet as a church mouse when it comes to those kind of public debates that Jim Jordan really loves the attention on. But at the end of the day, this is a horrible person. And we, just like they used AOC against us in Florida or California or Texas, we should use this guy against every single House Republican in any single state across the board in in 2024, because he is deplorable and Hillary was right about these people.
0: What's funny is a lot of people have referred to Mike Johnson as um, Jim Jordan in a coat. Um, he, he, you know, he he comes off as really straight, leisurely proper. Now, uh, of course, it's nothing if people aren't messy. And I love how people can be messy. And in this case, the press got messy. But one of the things that came out, and I wonder if, if it is worth further scrutiny, was um, when he talks about at, I guess at times in which he's needed credit and credentials, he has claimed to have a black son that he adopted when his son was 14. By the way, he was 25 at the time. So don't tell me, I don't want to know how a 25 year old can, domin- can can uh, adopt a 14 year old. But, um, he has a, 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 allegedly has a, who he's would now be in his, um, late 30s, early 40s, a black son that when you look at Mike Johnson's official website, when you look at all the literature, there's no pictures of him, no reference to him. Uh, Somebody asked his his press guys, and uh, they said, you know, it's out of privacy. But what happened was, how it even came to light, I think it was in 19 and 20, when uh, discussions of reparations came up. Uh, he he said that his black son wouldn't want them, and of course, you know, a black person raised by white people uh, with no connections to their black community might feel the same way. But then the other time he came up was when he actually kind of drew kinship when he talked about when George Floyd happened. But um, I do think it's funny that both Matt Gates and uh, and Michael Johnson have, and, and just you know, there's no official adoption. He may have taken him in, he may have had custody, but he did not formally adopt him. But I love it how both um, in, in the case of Michael Johnson and then also Matt Gaetz with his son, Nestor, uh, are single men, single men in their 20s at the time, adopting young men of color, uh, who, who are almost fully grown adults at that time. So what, was your, what were your thoughts when you heard about Michael Johnson's adoption of his black son?
1: Yeah, I I, I I think stories like that are always weird to me because, and I know a lot of people make fun of the Angel Angelina Jolie and stuff like that, but there's a, there's, and again, I don't want to diagnose anybody. I'm certainly not a mental health professional or anything like that, but there, it always strikes me as this sort of savior complex that we're going to go get this kid and save his life or whatever the situation may be. Um, from what I understand about him is he's such a Bible thumper in a negative way. I'm not trying to say that people who believe in the Bible or um, anything like that are bad. I'm trying to say that someone who believes it in the way that he does in a very literal old Testament way, if you will um, always scare me the the most because they will always justify their actions with uh, the Bible as using as a, as a shield, you know what I mean? So uh, does it surprise me no is it still weird and there's still there's 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 something behind the curtain yes i don't believe that we have the whole story um and i don't know if we ever will but it just always strikes me as a little bit weird
0: yeah it's it's weird but look um there has been some thought that given his inexperience his lack of savvy um and steve scalise who's also from louisiana uh, being a long-term leader, uh, he was the whip, now he's a majority leader, that Steve Scalise may actually be calling the shots, um, where, where where he might be a speaker name only, and Scalise might be the one that, that's out there. But, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. They've got to get a new spending bill passed by November 17th. There are some thoughts that uh, they might try to pass something temporary. Uh, they've got to get funding for Ukraine. Now they've got to get funding for Israel. And also included in the Israel funding would be about $100 million for Gaza. Well, you and I both know that's not enough. Uh, but these are all things that uh, the, the House has got to get done in the next two weeks. And just so you know, starting Monday, Monday the 30th, the day that this new episode drops, Congress was supposed to start another two-week in-district work period. These two-weekend district work periods are actually really relevant. That's when a lot of the members will travel to foreign countries uh, on what they call uh, congressional delegations, or CODEL for short. It's when they actually do a lot of constituent services, when they're meeting with a lot of stakeholders in their communities. And because of the insanity of the Republicans not having a speaker for a month, they actually had to cancel the two-weekend district work period. And I can tell you right now, I know for a fact... That, given the fact that Democrats had to drop everything, fly to D.C. for these votes, and wait and wait and wait, only to not vote, and then now they're canceling their two-week in-district work period, Uh, people are not happy with uh, the entire Republican caucus.
1: Well, John, when is that new, right? They haven't been happy with the entire Republican caucus since they've been in power. They've been a shit show since the entire time. McCarthy being elected Speaker the first time was a shit show, uh, all their sham hearings with Fauci, or a Biden administration, or the the um, Hunter Biden situation—it's all been shams. Even Fox News is sick of it. Even their own people are sick of it. They've been colossal failures from the beginning. I don't expect that to change. You don't. There's no profession in sports or in Hollywood or uh, s- small businesses where you have such a shakeup in leadership because of a good thing. It's always because things are being run poorly. How do we effectively communicate that in 24, especially with everything going on in the world, is going to be up to um, the DNC and Democrats to kind of figure out, kind of case by case. How can you use Republican extremism against each other in tight races? Does you do, does a Congress does my congressman here in Chicago need it? No. Does a Congressperson in California need it? Probably not. But in these swing states where you're trying to flip the six, seven seats that you need to get the House back, how can you kind of message against Republican extremism? I thought we were very effective with it in 2020 and 2022, and I think we'll continue to be effective in 24.
0: Yeah, well, don't forget one of the things that I think um, you talk about the swing states, but another issue that comes up is the whole issue of whether or not – We'll get the seats back in New York. I mean, that's not a swing state. Those are, you know, that was a bad map, and those, and we're going to get one. Even if there wasn't a redrawn map, I think those New York seats were going to be in jeopardy for Republicans. Now, if you combine the fact that I think the wins would have automatically, without a redraw of the redraw, I think the I think the Republicans were very vulnerable. But if you add in now that the redraw is going to include um, or, or that that in addition to the fact that these are probably candidates on the bubble to begin with, now there's a redraw, I think that we get those back very easily.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And George Santos, that whole situation is going to help. Um, I don't know if his district is super blue or whatever it is, but I just think – the energy's there, right? When when you get embarrassed on a national stage, which I think New York Democrats did, um, I think they'll turn it around. I definitely think those seats uh, will go back to our favor as, as, as well as other seats across the country that we need. Um, I'm not sure about seats that we have now that are vulnerable. Obviously, there's going to be seats that we lose, but as long as we win more than Republicans it all, that matters. But uh, I agree with your point about New York.
0: Well, just to you know about the Santos seat, Santos seat, I think the guy's name was Tom Scuzzi. It was actually held by a Democrat. I, think it's a, I don't think it's a left seat. I think it's a moderate Democratic seat. But it was Tom Scuzzi who, if he wanted to be, would be congressman for life. Well, in 2020, or, I'm sorry, in 2022, he actually ran for governor. And so he gave up his seat. And I don't know how the people in Long Island got caught flat-footed, but they allowed Santos to sneak in. And there's rumors are uh, not rumors. I think it's kind of a done deal that Scoozy's gonna run for his old seat. Now, it's weird because I think establishment people are excited about Scoozy running for his old seat, and they think he's got it. But the, the progressive left are, you know, mad at Scoozy They feel like you know he shouldn't run for it. Someone better can run for it. I don't know if that's because, as you know, with the left, um, you know, unless you unless you do, they see an opportunity maybe to get their own person in there, and and SCUZI doesn't work. But I think that uh, the Democratic establishment, I bet you most of the members of Congress would probably easily are are probably going to be with Scoozy in my opinion.
1: Yeah, if that's the case, then having somebody with that name recognition, that there's just going to be. Uh, crucial. Also, George Santos, if I'm not mistaken, was just arraigned today or yesterday or uh, or whatever the situation is. So we'll see if he's even on the ballot. And uh, I don't think he'll be on the ballot when it comes down, down to it. What do you think?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be on the ballot. My question is if he will even fill out so so his, ter- his full term. And will there actually be um, – there will actually be a special election for that seat before before we even get to next year's election uh that's key so question for you um and i'm gonna let me before i ask the question i'm gonna dispel a notion Uh, a lot of people have expressed concern about a speaker mike johnson allowing or overturning a biden win if everything goes as planned by the time the Congress is in a position and we all know the date now it's January 6th. We learned that, we learned that from 2020, but the, by the time that uh, a new con by the time Congress will be in a position to approve or disprove the election results, um, presumably Hakeem Jeffries would be speaker of the house. So I've heard a lot of people say, you know, we can't have, uh, Mike Johnson in place. Well, the Democrats have got to win. And let's be honest, if if we don't take back the House, I'm not sure if there's any Republican who could serve as Speaker who would actually respect the choice of, you know, the way the Republican Party's got would respect the choice of voters. But that being said, I have a question for you. You may have been expecting this, you may have not. Does, is is um, is Michael Johnson, the last speaker we have in this Congress, or could some other thing chaotic happen, and we start back from scratch is will Mike Johnson serve to the end of this particular congressional session? Yes or no, what say you, sir?
1: Oh man, that's a good question um, very quickly, you said if if we lose the house then then there's not a Republican who would uh vote to certify the election i actually think if we lose the house then we probably lose the white house anyway so that's probably not a good sign but to answer your question about johnson hmm, i'm gonna say yes he will be the, the the he will be the speaker come november 2024 when there's an election um i just think he's a guy who likes to go under the radar from what i understand he's a guy who doesn't like to rock the boat McCarthy was a person who catered to too many crowds. Jim Jordan was a person who liked to wreck the boat. And that's why his own caucus didn't want him. And I think this guy will just be under the radar, played safe enough, prevent defense. And then you got the holidays coming up, which is a big distraction. And then you start campaigning kind of in 2024. So I, I think they'll probably just be busier with other things. is is what I generally think.
0: Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Um, It'll be interesting what happens. Now, one of the things that also happened this week is that, um, you know, we had the week before the writers room gave us two guilty pleas. And then we, we, I'm not sure what day it was, because this this last week seemed like a year. Um, But sometime in the past week, Jenna Ellis copped a plea. Uh, what did you think of Jenna, Jenna Ellis copping a plea?
1: Yeah, it was, uh Jay-Z said, it was all good a week ago, right? She was on Twitter even, like, days before um, saying that she was not guilty. Why was she cop a plea? Knowing damn well, John, as you know, these plea deals don't come in overnight, right? She was Her, her lawyers were probably working on that for a while. So look, these people are, say something and do something else. We all know that they know, like the, the jig is up sort of situation. They just have to put on a show for their, their cult base. And so am I surprised? No. Cause people like that aren't built for doing crimes or doing time for that matter. So I think they're all flip. I, I eventually think everybody, but Donald Trump flips because none of those guys are built like that. And um, they all were kind of just caught up in the moment. Uh, not to say that they weren't evil intention. What I mean is, they really thought that they would get away with it, and they would just they would just do this, and it would be fine, and Joe Biden will be inaugurated, and then everything will go away. Um, and I just think they'll just end end up copping to that and saying, "I went too far, my bad, I'll plead guilty." And I think most of them will end up doing that, other than Trump. That that's my kind of general assumption with all this. I think everybody, including as we know, Mark Meadows. And I don't know if you saw that report, I don't know if I sent it to you, but um there's people inside Trump who believe that he was wearing a wire longer than they thought he was wearing a wire. So I, I ultimately end up think anybody under Trump will ultimately end up either pleading guilty or or flipping in, in some sort of way.
0: You know, it's <clears throat> it, it cracks me up that and and a lot of people I respect, a lot of the talking heads I respect. Uh, doubted uh, Fonnie Willis's strategy, her approach, Um, it seems to me to be paying dividends, right? Um, Everyone, you know, realistically, um, you might have at least 50% of the defendants uh, may have caught pleas before we even hit the court. And so trying them all together may literally mean just trying Trump and maybe Meadows and Giuliani. I could see where we actually have a bunch of pleas to where we're down to just a handful of folks by the time this case actually goes to court.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're saying that what I thought of was we, we use, we usually think that's um, bad, right? Like when the shoe's on the other foot and there's a situation where people are pleading guilty because they don't have lawyers or a proper financials, situation usually black or brown people who are just caught up in the system and they have to plea to get out of it. Um, we usually are very critical of them pleading just to get out of the legal system. In this case, it's completely different, right? These people have money, have access to lawyers, and they, they actually did the crime in this, sa- in this sense. And so we're all sitting here like, yeah, everybody should plead guilty because they did it. So it's, it's just funny to think about the two sides that we always kind of are, are balancing
0: yeah it's crazy, but you know <clears throat> that wasn't court- trump's only court problems. Michael Cohen testified this week um and he you know it was it was not comfortable for trump trump was uh uh was loose lipping was was talking uh was, was talking a lot of mess and uh he ended up getting uh getting a gag order and a fine so and and the best part about it trump actually had to go on the witness stand so what happened was he went ahead and he said some things about the judge and he said some things without naming names which were interpreted as him talking about the judge's clerk trump maintains that he was talking about cohen and so when the judge convened a hearing to try to determine what happened Trump again claimed talking about Cohen and the judge said I don't believe you and fined him $10,000. So what did you think about we talked about already Trump's week in the Georgia courts, but what did you think of Trump's week in the New York courts?
1: Yeah, what you left out the funniest part is where he from what I understand stormed out, didn't tell secret service he was leaving, um was super pissed and <laughs> made a whole scene in the courtroom. Uh just a petulant child is what he is. He hates losing on all fronts, even though he knows he messed up. Also, John, what's crazy is the judge took a light on him, right? The judge could have threw him in jail. The judge could have fined him heavier. He said, I don't believe you. I don't find you credible. I think you're lying. And he still took him light on him, right? I think the judge is treading lightly because um, I don't think he wants to appear uh, biased or uh, unobjective in any way. So he still took a light on Trump. Right. He could have, that judge would have threw anybody else in jail probably. Right. And I have faith that Trump won't stop. Right. He's, he can't help himself. That's what the story has been about him his whole entire life. He cannot help himself. He has to do the thing where everyone tells him not to do. And this is a case of that. So I know that case is civil and I know that Trump organization is gone. And now Ivanka's the whole family. It's a family affair. Uh, Shout out to Mary Drew Bleich this week in the courtroom because Ivanka and everybody else is test, testifying back to back to back. And I know for a fact they're going to throw him under the bus or at least just not take the blame. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that this week.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So you got the whole family will be testifying this week. Um, the, the writers of the show That Is Our Life right now have just been putting in a great couple of weeks starting with the Kevin McCarthy getting removed, multiple, took us forever to come up with a, a speaker. We've had three guilty bleeds from Trump's lawyers who, you know, we, we and here's the best part. Would you agree? When it comes to chaos, when it comes to the whole what's going on, it's one thing when the stuff that's on the schedule happens, but it's a whole other thing when the stuff that's not on the schedule. So, just so you know, based upon what's on the schedule, it's going to be a good week. But we also don't know what is not on the schedule. Uh, Trump is just, you know, the, the other piece that, that we've heard is that Mark Meadows has gone ahead and copped a plea. and not, well, well, no, we shouldn't say he's copped a plea. That's, that's wrong. But there's a belief that he's singing. But I also firmly believe that if he is singing, I can't see him singing without a plea deal.
1: John, do your best. I know you have your uh, law degree from law and order, but if because there's plea deals where you just say, "I'm guilty, just give me a lighter sentence because I'm going to cooperate, and there's also "I will turn state witness, go undercover, wear a wire." Is that still considered a plea deal
0: sometimes it well, it's it's only a plea deal if you if there's an agreement to plead guilty. Now, realistically, what a lot of people aren't acknowledging in because you know they said the same thing about could if if um both Chesbro and Sidney Powell and now Jenna are all pleading guilty in Georgia, have they cut deals with um with uh Jack Smith and are they potentially you know looking at indictments down the line? And I do wonder, though, is even if deals aren't in place, is there, and this is probably a question for a lawyer, but is there a scenario in which, okay, they'd have a cop deals in the other cases, but they know that cooperation, while that might not lead to a plea, the cooperation might actually help them during sentencing. You know, that's that's something else where you, you, you understand what I'm saying is a, a plea deal might not be available or a plea deal may still result... In a conviction, but this, judges have a lot of discretion when it comes to sentencing, and is even if the even if the person is ultimately <clears throat> tried as opposed to plead, does the cooperation actually help them in sentencing? That's just a simple. I don't think we can get an answer for that as much as that's. I, I wonder if that's a possibility.
1: Yeah, but what I am talking about is what if there's no. Crime. What if Meadows says, I'll wear a wire, but you can't charge me with anything or follow through with it. Right. I know he's indicted technically in Georgia, but like there might not be a sentencing because he might just have immunity if he's working with them. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying that if the rumors or the reports I should say are true that he was wearing a wire, that's more than a plea deal. I think that's becoming a government asset and a witness and he might not face ultimately any charges. But then, then who has the hooks in him, right? Is it Georgia? Is it Jack Smith? Is it um, – are, are they used? Are allowed to use the same thing? Did, did Fonnie Willis flip him and then flip into Jack Smith because it's a higher authority? Because remember, he tried to move the Georgia case <laughs> to federal court. So part of the reason I think he tried to move it to federal court is because Jack Smith has a hook in him. And if he's a federal witness and he's trying to move it from Georgia, then I ultimately think – the Georgia case might go away for him specifically if he's federal witness is kind of what I'm hinting at.
0: And I may be wrong on this, but one of the things though, to answer to not maybe answer, but give you something to consider is I think I I believe that when the three, the three people who pled pled, I think that I think that they were obliged to disclose any plea offers they have in other jurisdictions, and that would include federal. <clears throat> and they all said no. Now that doesn't mean that they can't in the future. That I'm not. And you understand what I'm saying is, you know how you can say no to something, but it'd be as close to yes, and you're not. You're not lying. You're not perjuring yourself. But it's right up to the line of yes, but it's that the deal's not been cited. So I, I would love to know from a lawyer when, one, if that, I believe that question's been asked. And if it's two, if even if it's, you know, it's something that's like mandatory. But three, is there wiggle room to where, yeah, they can make a denial, but that denial is only based upon what is official, but there's a lot of official moves behind the scenes and all they have to do is there may be a verbal agreement or, or, a, or an understanding that they don't have to acknowledge. I do wonder if that's the case.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly think all that will start to play out. It's, I've never, no, I'm sure it's existed, but I've never just seen anything with the scope of things, right? There's three different cases, three different states. Two of them are federal but try it in two different places. Then there's a civil case in New York and all and all parties are kind of involved, right? Meadows is involved in three of the four uh, and different people are different. Like, so it's just interesting. And I think it's kind of unprecedented in a weird way. So I think we'll start to kind of see some of this play, play out in the new
0: year. It's going to be fascinating. So um, one of the things that happened this week, and it, it circles back to Mike Johnson, And how disappointing the Republican Party will continue to be is we had the tragic, I believe it was, was it Wednesday night or Thursday night, we had the tragic shooting in Maine. Um, You had a gentleman who shot, I mean, the initial reports were 22 dead and 50 to 60 injured or wounded. But those numbers came down to 18 and I think it was another 14 wounded. But um, what did you think of the news out of uh, Maine this week?
1: Yeah, John, before I answer this, do we know, is it confirmed that it's he's white? Yes. Yeah, so honestly, with everything, I'll just be honest and, and vulnerable here, with everything going on in the Middle East, I just hoped and prayed to God he wasn't an Arab guy. Um, I, I, I didn't I didn't hope he was, a, like, I hope he wasn't a black guy or a brown guy. Uh, not that I'm hoping that it's anything, right? I hope that this never happened, but Frankly speaking, um, I just thought, man, the last thing we need is if it was a Muslim or Arab shooter to have this going on while everything's going on in the Middle East because of the backlash against Muslims in this country as it stands now. And so I was a little bit relieved. It surprised me that the shooter was not caught, right? Usually those are murder-suicide situations where cops come in eventually and take the shooter down. But the shooter was found, I think, I think, 12 hours later, the next day. Um, dead. I I don't even know. Over 48. where. 48.
0: It it was it, it it was it was at least 48 hours later. Um, it was at a recycling plant, a recycling plant he used to work at, and I think one of the things, and I've not heard. I was really busy, but I'm not sure if they were able to timeline when he killed himself. If because they were saying part of problem. You know, a lot of times when they shoot in those situations, the suicide is usually. If, if there's a murder-suicide or a person ultimately kills himself, it's usually why they're in pursuit or on site. This man escaped. Let's be honest. He escaped. And they were saying that one of the problems was, and I heard this early on in the search. They're saying if he killed himself off-site, it might be very hard to find because they have a lot of things uh, that help them find people in a heat-seeking manner. But if he's dead, he's not giving off heat, and it makes the search harder, which I thought was fascinating. But think about it. Am I, would you agree that most mass shootings that end with the suicide of the perpetrator, that suicide is usually happening on site or in pursuit or when the person's in a hostage barricade situation. But very rarely do they escape and then commit suicide. Am I correct in that assessment, or what's your take?
1: I've never heard of that. Usually the scenario is, one, suicide on the scene, or assisted suicide where they use the cops to uh, assist in killing them, right?
0: Suicide by cops.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or the other scenarios, they get away, and it's a manhunt. They don't necessarily get away and kill themselves, but they get away and police have to go searching for them and eventually end up finding them. I've never seen where somebody went off site. And if I know the country well enough, I'm sure, I'm sure there will be the conspiracy theories that come out of the woodwork. Even myself, I'm a little skeptical, skeptical as far as what happened, because I've just never heard of somebody leaving the scene, then committing suicide somewhere else. Cause if you got away, then why not continue to try to get away? He he could have just realized the moment and was overwhelmed and, and thought, what have I done? And once you see the news stories and stuff like that, it kind of hits you. So I, I understand it, but I, I've just never seen anything like that where somebody escapes and it's not a manhunt. You just end up killing yourself and cops find you and um, you're already uh perished So it, I, I have never seen personally anything like that.
0: Yeah. Um, look, it's at some point in time, uh, it's we we need to have action you know one of the things that someone said was and i i'm not even going to try to paraphrase i'll just give it a, a kind of a, gen, a generalization but someone said you know if the country did not do anything after sandy hook are we going to do anything after anything else right um but one of the things that i thought was fascinating was uh congressman uh jared golden who is a center right congressperson who actually has voted against gun safety legislation? He represents Maine. He actually represents the district that the shooting took place in. He has come out now and said, Hey, um, going forward, I'm going to be supporting gun safety legislation. Uh, it's one of those things where I think we have to applaud him uh, for doing it. Uh, I do hate and resent that something's got to hit close to home before people start sometimes caring on a situation. But, you know, that's something we can worry about later. You know, in the moment, I think we have to just go ahead and take our wins where we we can get them.
1: I, I honestly, John, could not agree more. And the reason I think that is because a lot of people think, well, this won't happen to my district, so I don't have to pay attention. This is somebody who was sensible enough to say, you know what? I don't want this on my head. Not that he's responsible, because I don't think that that specific person is responsible, but to think maybe he knew a family, it wasn't his family, but maybe he just had a constituent's family or whatever the situation may be. And look, progress happens, as we argued before, incrementally. So if, if we flipped a couple of people's minds this time, then that's better off and the country's better off. It's better than Susan Collins putting out whatever BS statement she put out um, so I'd much rather have a sensible person say, you know what, I was wrong and we need something than just to stick by the same old thing. Because there's a lot of situations happen, right? There's a lot of districts that get affected and those congress people never change their mind. So I have to give credit to him where credit is due. Uh, for Sandy Hook, I was a little bit young. I wasn't as active as I am now, and, and I totally understand the sentiment. For me, that was Uvalde. The disaster of that was the disaster of the governor, the disaster of the police force there, that was a disaster from top to bottom. And they went out and they voted for Abbott again, plus 20, right? And so that's when I personally gave up on any sort of legislation actually reasonably happening. The way I think we go about it has to be that Governor Newsom idea, not to talk about Newsom again, but that Governor Newsom idea of insurance and that situation i think when you go after pocketbooks and insurance companies i think that's when you start to probably have a little bit more legs to the fight because if you could tag a company and make them responsible for the deaths i think that's when things will start to change a little bit until that happens i actually have no faith in in any sort of uh legislation personally
0: yeah um i just wonder I wonder when what will happen. You know, we we oftentimes talk about uh, Generation Y um, and Generation Z. I guess maybe things will change under them. Uh, something has got something has got to change. You know, we got Max Frost, who's who's a great young voice. Um, he's a lot matured than some of the people who've come in before him who are. Significantly older than he is, um. But we we we've got to just start. We got to start saying enough is enough. I mean, a lot of us say it, but the problem is, is that we're saying it in echo chambers. We're saying it in districts where there's no political um risk in saying it, where you know we we can be steadfast and everything else. But I just I just wonder what it will take for people to really just start caring. I mean, and you know what's so funny? It's not funny, but ironic. Uh, a lot of the people on the right um, are always worried about America's image on the world stage. And you know how they would always say, you know, Biden's making us a laughing stock or Obama's making Do they not realize how embarrassing it is for our country to have so many gun deaths? I mean, realistically, uh, and I'm not sure if it's because it's not the South or what have you, but for this, you know, Maine has pretty lax gun laws. And those lax gun laws may have caused this, but um, it doesn't seem like the people in Maine, as opposed to, say, somewhere in the Deep South, uh, it doesn't seem like they're trigger-happy, right? It seems like they were able to get away with lax laws and not pay a big price for it, but all it takes is one incident, and that changes everything. Um, But do you think that um, the fact that—well, here's a question— how do you think Maine will react? Maine, don't forget, New England is very, if you're a Republican, you're very moderate, right? You're, you know, you're a Susan Collins type. Um, how will Maine as a state react? Will it start getting a little bit more aggressive? And in some of its gun laws, which is what we hope to do, which is what blue states are already doing, um, you know, where they get aggressive. And they probably don't need to get much more aggressive than they York because they've got, progressive laws, or will Maine act like a red state? What is is your prediction? And of course, as with everything, you and I are now, within the last 24 hours, we're going to appoint ourselves Maine experts, and we don't know much about the climate in Maine. But just based upon what you're seeing in energy, do you think at the very least at the state level there might be some action in Maine?
1: Uh, No, I don't. Um, Sorry, I don't mean to be a cynic or be the the millennial who's just has no faith but john just to be blunt that the, the story is already over right part of it's what's going on in the middle east part of it's just it's it's nfl and and college football and and people move on and and by tomorrow or monday when the episode drops it'll be a non-story it, it just frankly that's the that's the that's the country we live in you mentioned about the world the world seeing us we get made fun of that more than anything online. They make fun of us in our schools being shot or just general mass shootings more than anything else. It's the biggest kind of blemish um, that's currently happening in America, but I don't think Maine, I don't think anything will change that one person who said, I have a change of heart. I just Susan Collins put out a BS statement. She still takes money from the guns, the gun lobbies and stuff like that. So until that part changes, until Susan Collins doesn't get money from gunning manufacturers, not, not to say she's on the payroll, I'm talking about um, campaign stuff, and until that changes, I don't think anything else will change. So, I, I don't expect anything to change in Maine.
0: Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Um, we just have to do better. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Now, Mike Pitts... Mike Pence gave us a bit of comic relief on Saturday. Mike Pence announced that he is not running for re-election. I mean, running for president. Uh, he. It was funny. One of my favorite, and I'll see if I can find it. It was a very uh, cynical response, which I thought was probably. Let me see if I can find it. Um. It it, it probably puts together what we've already known about Mike Pence, where something along the lines of God told him to run. Oh, here he goes. Um, God told him to run, but then God changed his mind or something like that. Uh, What did you think of Mike Pence dropping out of the presidential race?
1: Uh, (laughs) Mike Pence was never in the presidential race, John. Um, He had no shot. He had no shot at, Unlike Haley and other people who are running for vice president, Mike Pence obviously does not have a shot at that either. So I think Mike Pence thought, hey, the vice president should be on the ticket because that's the natural order of things. But Republicans are not uh, the natural order of things. They like to go uh, out of left field. So he never stood a chance and he just, I think this was embarrassment, John. I think he announced this because there was a possibility that he wasn't going to make the third debate. And I think he wanted to avoid that embarrassment, which the entire thing has been embarrassment. And Mike Pence should have never been in this race because he had no chance. I'll tell you what, John, the fly that landed on his head during the debate got further to the chair than Mike Pence did in this race.
0: Mm-hmm. The line that someone put out, and it was uh, uh, Lessa Pamplin was an attorney out of um, Texas, she put out there God told him to run and then God changed his mind um look I think this Republican field is going to whittle down it's going to um it's it's going to continue to dwindle uh what's funny is with Trump's legal problems do you think I'm not saying that he'll lose But do you think that there will be an identified alternative? I think the problem that, I think we know the problem that um, DeSantis is, is that as long as Trump's around, if they want Trump, they're going to get Trump. If Trump does not run, if Trump ultimately, or or better yet, let's just say doesn't get the nomination. If Trump doesn't get the nomination, is it going to be another version of Trump? Or is it going to be comp- or something completely different on the Republican side?
1: Um, are you saying doesn't get the nomination because of legal reasons, not actually voting reasons, right?
0: Well, for whatever reasons, if 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 the Republican Party goes in a different direction, is it going to get? Is it going to go with a, a Trump light Trump in a, in different packaging, or is it going to go in a different direction?
1: I I here's what I think. I think, I think DeSantis took a massive hit as far as PR. And I think he regrets coming in this race, but I ultimately think he's still in the race because of the reason that you're asking is there's a high likelihood that Trump won't be on the ballot. Now I'm not saying it's over 50% or the thing that's going to happen, but there's a decent chance he won't be on the ballot. Um, or just the the remember, not you know this, but a lot of people don't know this. It, the it comes down to the the convention, right, where everybody the states kind of put their uh, nominee forward. So it could be a situation. Maybe I watch the West Wing too much, but there could be a situation where they get to the convention and decide, or Trump's not on the ballot, or whatever the situation, or is in jail, whatever the situation may be, and they just all collectively move their cards to DeSantis. I think that's the most likely scenario if it's not – if if Trump is not on the ballot because just like the speaker race, they think that there's a line here and it was McCarthy, Scalise, Jim Jordan. Ultimately, that was not the case. But for the presidential race, I think people think it's Trump and DeSantis is their best shot. Now, I don't think he has stands a chance against Biden in the general, but – they think that he has the best chance against Biden. And that's why I think ultimately it'll beat the Sancas.
0: So here's a question for you. Is it, is, is Trump on the ballot? Um, is Trump on, if Trump goes off the ballot, is it going to be his choice or the choices made by voters? So, we're already seeing a lot of things that say, you know, we're going to support Trump. But if he doesn't end up as a nominee, will it just because maybe he cuts a deal? Uh, is, it, is he pulling himself off the ballot in your mind? Or would he get voted out? And or is it one of those situations where as long as his name's on the ballot, he's going to win the renomination I'm talking about? Trump? Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, he's gonna win the nomination. Um, I don't know when the convention is. Probably June or July, right? But the la- the real, I think Super Tuesday is
0: March. July, July, July or August.
1: Yeah, July so, or July it's or August, July or, right? August.
0: So, July or August.
1: Yeah, so if that's the case, and Super Tuesday is, <clears throat> I think in March, so he'll have his soda by then. In reality, um. I ultimately think desantis is the only one who stays in the race because he probably has a decent enough money and on the off chance that um trump doesn't make it to the convention that's a big gap right because a lot of trump's cases start february march and if he wins the nomination for all intents and purposes in march but the convention's not till july august then there's a sizable gap there where something could change a guilty verdict or whatever so that's going to be the most interesting time. I think he has the nomination sewed up. I think he'll win it by March. But what happens between March and the convention is a
0: bigger story. Yeah. I say don't cut him a deal. I, I wonder, here's a question. If if he wins the nomination, well, let's just say he secures the nomination because there's going to be a significant amount of time between securing a nomination and actually going to the convention and being the official nominee. But if he secures the nomination – and gets a major felony conviction, he still can be on the ballot. Will there be a growing even if even if the voters are still with him, even if Republican voters are with him, will there be a growing call from Republicans for him to step off the ballot? Does the party act? Or does he just act like, You can't mess with me, I don't care if I'm still convicted, I'm I'm still running.
1: Um I'll answer your question, but I first want to say you're asking that question with the mentality that Republicans think him being guilty is bad, and they actually think that him being guilty is good. It helps him. It boosts him. It makes him a martyr. That's what they truly do believe. Now, to answer your question, yes. Do I believe behind closed doors, the McConnells and the, the I wouldn't even use the word reasonable, but the the smarter Republicans, if you will, there will be a growing murmur behind closed doors to get him off the ballot but it'll be just be that it'll be a murmur it'll be a speed bump it will not be big enough to stop him that's the reality
0: now one of the things that happened this week is uh congressman dean phillips from minnesota announced that he is going to challenge biden in a democratic primary now he made already one fatal flaw and the fatal flaw is that he actually filed to run in new hampshire and remember, because we've decided, the Democrats have decided that Sandy, uh, South Carolina is going to be their first state. If he appears on the ballot, in a primary ballot in New Hampshire, he undermines his ability to earn delegates in other states. You do realize that even though New Hampshire plans are going first, um, Joe Biden is not filing to run in New Hampshire.
1: Can you tell me who's running his campaign, John?
0: Yes. Um uh Steve Smith, who uh, Lincoln Project. Uh and I think we've said that we've warned people a few times about the Never Trumpers. I mean I think some Never Trumpers are never Trumpers and they're gonna stay never Trumpers and they're and I think Steve Smith is a never Trumper, but I think he still he still has um far right tendencies. He's not like Stuart Stevens. Stuart Stevens has seen the light. He knows the error of their ways. But Steve Smith is the man that gave us Sarah Palin. And Steve Smith, I don't know what his motivation is because he's got to know, in the unlikely instance that Dean Phillips were to knock off uh, Biden, he doesn't stand a chance against Trump.
1: The reason I asked you that question, I knew the answer, obviously. The reason I asked you is because I wanted you to have a moment because you have been very skeptical of the never Trumpers, especially the Lincoln project folks. And I know that you mentioned Stuart and there's um, Rick, the other guy who from all intents and purposes seems to quote unquote, have seen the light. I still don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Steve Schmidt is doing, he might as well just join the, the Trump campaign staff, right? Because that's all this is doing. Um, Joe Biden is the only person who could beat Donald Trump. Joe Biden is the, there's only two people who could win the election, and that's that's Joe Biden and whoever the Republicans nominate. There's no other scenario. He's not an idiot. He knows that he's doing that, and he knows that all he's doing is trying to get attention or trying to get his next job or whatever the situation may be. He knows good and darn well that that dude Dean Phillips has no chance, but he's doing it anyways and that's what they all, Republicans always do they're just chaos starters they're chaos agents and that's what he is to me. John, correct me if i'm wrong. This doesn't hurt Biden in any way because he'll still have the nomination and they'll just be Trump like Dean Phillips won't be a story come election time. So what's the play here? Is it just attention grabbing or is it like we mentioned with AOC and some of the far leftists is is it just to keep Biden on this? Is it just to keep him on his toes? Or do you think it's just they're selfish and they just want attention?
0: Selfish want attention. They're buying into um some of the polls, or they're maybe even perpetrating some of the polls. And now here's where you're partially right. What the what the fear is, is that they say that presidents, incumbent presidents who are who get primary challenges oftentimes going to lose. And that's partially correct. Incumbent presidents get primary challenges all the time. It's just that whether they get a, a a primary challenge from a viable candidate, right? Um, I don't think Dean Phillips is a viable candidate. When Kennedy, when Teddy Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter, Teddy Kennedy was a viable alternative. I don't see Dean Phillips... Bring any heat to Biden the same way that Teddy Kennedy bought it to Carter, and on top of that, if we're if we're really keeping it honest, Dean Phillips probably won't make the ballot in a lot of states. I have to look it up, but Dean Phillips is going to need at least probably ten fifteen thousand signatures to be on the ballot in Illinois, maybe on the low end five thousand. And he and and just so you know, because of the way that we vet if you submit if you need 5000 you really want 15000 because what you want to be able to do is you know uh over overcompensate for errors and everything else so i don't know i i really i i think that he's going to be a non-factor i i believe he's a non-factor but i will tell you that there are people who talk Strictly from a from the perspective of history, when presidents, when incumbent presidents get primary challenges, they oftentimes go on to lose. But we'll see how that plays out.
1: Wait, are you saying the sitting president gets an incumbent challenge? They go on to lose? Is that what you
0: said? That has been the pattern. But as I said, they I don't under I, I we have to I don't necessarily know if um Dean Phillips meets the standard. Do meaning presidents get primary challenges all the time and they win because they're not legitimate primary challenges. It's the difference between someone who's a viable challenge who you actually have to worry about. But I mean you could literally have a scenario where Biden's like, man, I ain't gonna debate you right? If Biden treats him like a non-factor, is he a non-factor? Now, you and I know the press will want him to be viable because they like it, but just because the press wants him to be viable, is he legitimately viable?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think he's viable, and as you were talking, I was just going on Twitter. He had a town hall where he said white supremacy is not real, so uh, I don't know. I, I just think this is is what it is to me. It's an attention grab, it's a money grab, and that dude's career is over, as far as I'm concerned. And I just hope it doesn't turn anything. I don't think it'll turn into. Let me just say that. I don't think it'll turn into anything. I, I have to be very careful because Twitter is not real life, and there's a palpable, um, there's a palpable voter. Like there's there's a feeling that people don't necessarily want to vote for Biden. They will because he's, he's the best option. But I understand that there's that feeling there, but I ultimately think that people will have their heads screwed on right. And I just don't think that this will be a thing.
0: Right, 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 right. So uh, obviously we have not necessarily talked about Israel. We're coming up on an hour. And I, I, I think the main thing is uh, I, I – you and I have always tried to be very delicate with this for a number of different situ- for a number of different reasons. And I think where we landed last week, and I think we're still there is that we want people to, um, I just want the, I, I was telling, I was talking to someone today and I was saying, I'm not sure if you agree with the scenario is every, the people I've got friends on both sides and they want us to cry for the people that they care about but they don't cry for the other side and is it me that's that's what i want i want i want people i want more people crying for both sides as opposed to crying for one side or the other does that does that you understand where i'm going with that
1: yeah i'm actually a little grateful we didn't talk about it today because i think it's ever present on um everybody's mind especially in the arab community it's just such a it's been like this for my entire life and and I've had this conversation so many times. The rhetoric is out of control, John. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say on both sides, because I don't think the rhetoric is out of control on both sides, but the rhetoric generally speaking is completely out of control. And the I think we talked about it last week, just people needing to have an opinion, just because that's how the world works now. You have a TikTok, you have an Instagram, and you're entitled to your own opinion. sure but people just jumping online and and saying things I think is driving the narrative much further than it really is. And I think we're all best to settle down and really have nuanced conversations. And that's not the space we're in right now. It's just hot take central. And, and I don't want to both sides it. I'm just saying right now, the rhetoric is so out of control that I'm choosing to not partake in it. I'm I'm having conversations privately and everything, but um, I just think it's so heated right now that it's really hard to get anything done, frankly.
0: Right. Well, and and like I said, I understand what you're saying about not wanting to both sides. And I I, I won't necessarily both sides to conflict. Yeah. And I think, but I'm going to both sides to rhetoric, if that makes sense. That's where I'm going to draw a distinction. I'm not going to both sides to conflict but i will both both sides to rhetoric and what i'm saying is too often i got friends on both sides when i talk to them they tell me how devastated their community is and how horrible the other community is and i hear and i want to and i definitely embrace their sorrow their fear their just desire for this all to end but then i don't hear enough from my friends on either side of compassion for the other side. So I'm not necessarily both siding the issue, and it might, to your point, it might be rhetoric, but, you you know, is there a way to... And I I, I think I'm actually more sympathetic right now, and I think I've been for the last 10 years more sympathetic to the Palestinian side. But when I see and hear rhetoric... Like, you know, Glory to Our Martyrs and stuff like that. I have a hard time standing with folks. When I see the kids getting locked in the, um, you know, the library at the Cooper Union. But then when I see my friends who are on the Israeli side, I don't think they're doing a good enough job distinguishing between Hamas and Palestinians. And I, what happened on October 7th is horrible. But that does not excuse what's going to and what is going on in Gaza, right? So it's weird because, and I I said this the first time it came up for us, is I want to have credibility on both sides. It's not a desire to be popular. It's not a desire to be right. It's a desire to be even-handed. And I think when it comes to just compassion, there's an even-handedness. But one of the things I do want to talk about before we go is... As I said, I've become more and more sympathetic to the Palestinian side, but I see a lot of my leftist friends who are saying they're never going to vote for Biden. Do they not realize that 2024 is a binary discussion? And I'm not necessarily completely on board with what our administration is doing in Israel and Gaza but I know that whatever they're doing is 3,000 times better for the cause than what Donald Trump would do. Do the people who realize, who say that they're not going to who they want to punish uh, Joe Biden, do they realize, do they fully embrace that? what And, and th- would you agree, even if it's not Trump, if it's DeSantis, if it's Nikki Haley, do you think any of them are going to be good? for the for the left position for the 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 people who are sympathetic to palestine is there anybody on the republican side who's going to be better than biden for the people who are sympathetic to palestine
1: yeah i think that's part of what i was hinting at as the rhetoric is it was a massive week for biden kind of um what's the word from what i understand they had Daily meetings with the Arab communities in different um, scenarios because of the PR kind of nightmare behind his statements around the Palestinian death toll, which I believe was a misstep. I believe um, they're kind of trying to fix that now at all costs because um, it's become so loud. But um, you mentioned both siding the narrative or the rhetoric, not necessarily the conflict. I'm choosing not to both side the rhetoric either because I believe, and again, I'm choosing my words very carefully, but I am very aware of the rhetoric on one side has been consistent as far as I've been alive and the rhetoric on the other side has now changed. And that's what I'm really frustrated with is pro-Palestinian marches um, being labeled as anti-Semitic is very bothersome and frustrating to me because That's not a thing. And I think that sort of rhetoric that is so extreme uh, only pits us in a space to defend ourselves. And that's where it becomes unproductive. When I go downtown Chicago or London or Germany, where all these protests are happening, and I am protesting in favor of uh, free Palestine, that does not mean I'm anti-Jewish or anti- Uh, Semitic in any sort of way and that's what I think is is lost now I I, I think some of the rhetoric John has become extreme on that one side that it's hard for me to talk about if that makes sense again choosing my words very carefully rhetoric on one side has been very consistent for the last 35 years as far as i have been alive but the rhetoric on the other side has changed a lot and now granted there is Jewish people at these protests and there's the protest in Tel Aviv today uh, of all places That was pro Palestine, so I understand that it's not everybody, frankly, but it's like I said, it's become very ugly and nasty, and it's just it's very hard to partake in right now.
0: Right. Well, I I will tell you, I first this is probably going back to the two thousand four, two thousand three, actually, when we were at war in Iraq, and then it then I fast forward to like the Laquan McDonald years the challenge is about protests and now in the internet age means and, you know, having policy discussions in a social media space is it doesn't lend itself well to nuanced arguments. Right. And what's going on in the middle East is so complex that it's, if you are on one side, but you don't want to be viewed by the other side as anti the other side, just sympathetic to the side you're on, both sides have to be very careful with how they communicate that right um it's it's i do i i i I really hate when I see people talking about um, Gaza. And referring to we got we got to go get the terrorists. Yeah, we know that you need to go get the terrorists. But when you talk about Gaza, you got to see the humanity of the people in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and I saw something, and I'm sure you saw it. I saw something the other night that just really upset me. Was that the Israeli police are arresting folks in the West Bank for it looks it doesn't look like for doing anything, right? And so it's like I guess say the, the challenge that I've seen is that. I just need people to see the humanity. What, Whatever side people are on in this issue, see the humanity on the other side. That is the most important. How you talk, how you expect things to happen, because doesn't, here's the thing, and I think we talked about this. Um, hopefully that in both Israel and Gaza and the West Bank, Hopefully, there's kids and maybe not. They they might not be infants. Let's hope they're adolescents. But there's hopefully somebody and some bodies that are going to actually solve this thing. And we we need we we that's what we need. We we don't need this thing to go on. We don't need this thing to continue. We need this thing to come to an end. And we don't need it to come to an end just to come to an end. But we need it to come to an end in a manner that is just and respects all people and all sides in this i i get i get fearful that i don't know if um folks on both sides will ever come to an agreement but man i we just need this thing to be solved but not just because you isn't that why what happened on october 7th happened is there was a if, if we if we don't have a resolution that is satisfying to both sides. We will never, ever have peace.
1: Um No. Yeah, that's fair to say. I, I think part of the reason is one side. um Won't come to the table, I think, but again, it's, it's probably far too nuanced for me to even label it in that way. Um, there is no, there is no international support for that. That's the, that's the thing, right? Ukraine is, is a, a a statehood, right? It has a country and laws and an army and it has a leader that's elected freely that can come to Congress and speak. And, and one of the parties in this situation doesn't have that. And so it's very hard to um, get everybody on a table and negotiate or meet at Camp David and negotiate like the West Wing, right? It's very hard to do that for obvious reasons. So I think we're far off from, I I think the immediate impact of a ceasefire or put everybody put the guns down, I think is accomplishable. But to figure out the rest of it, I think takes um, some serious foreign policy and politicking. And I have faith in, Specifically, Democrats to do that, but do I have faith that that's the goal? I I don't know if that's the goal right now. I think the goal right now is the immediate danger of of people, and I think that's fair to focus on that for now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting, but uh, well, I, I never thought I'd say this. Well, at least we have the comic relief of what's going on in the United States to 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 to, to, to give it because it it is heavy. It is heavy. It's going to be. Um, I'm not looking forward to the next couple of weeks in that regard because it's it's a heavy issue and um, I don't think we're I don't I don't think I, unfortunately I don't think we're close to any kind of resolution.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's going to turn into a shit show here soon enough. Now that Republicans um, are at least at the table for now.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So for now, this is John signing off.
1: This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys.